Have you ever heard any interesting wedding vows? Anything interesting at a wedding before? This past week, people around the world celebrated what would have been, I think, the 101st birthday of T.S. Geisel, or as most of us know him, Dr. Seuss. Somebody took the wedding vows and gave them the Dr. Seuss treatment. It goes a little like this. Will you take her as your wife? Will you love her all your life? Yes, I take her as my wife. Yes, I'll love her all my life. Will you have and also hold, just as you have at this time told? Yes, I will have and I will hold, just as I have at this time told. Yes, I will love her all my life as I now take her as my wife. Now, that was what Ben was going to say at his wedding a few months ago, but he, he changed it up at the last minute. The first wedding at Holland Avenue Baptist Church happened in Snyder Chapel in 1956. I am pretty sure that Peggy Coates and Kenneth Lacans did not use Dr. Seuss rhymes in their vows, but I do know that on that day they began what has turned out to be many years of wedding vows here at this church on this corner. One of those years was 1968. It was an interesting year of weddings here at Holland Avenue because a lot of the people that got married had the exact same names. And so somebody put together a, a little a summary of the weddings of that year in October 1968. It went like this. Bernard married Linda. Linda married Richard. Richard married Jackie. Jackie married Carol. And Carol married Bruce. <laughs> it's a pretty good picture. It's not Dr. Seuss, but it definitely has some good flow to it, doesn't it? I would imagine that at every single wedding that's been held here at this church, the following words were probably said, to have and to hold. To have and to hold. It's a powerful vow. The imagery is powerful. You see, in, in one sense, to have and to hold means that you are going to love that person with a tender devotion. It's kind of like a, a gentle hug or a warm embrace. In another sense, to have and to hold means that you're going to love that person with firm devotion. It seems to have a picture of, of clinging on to that person and, and hanging on to them through the greatest difficulties of life. A tender devotion, a tender love, a firm devotion, a firm, gripping, lasting, clinging love. To have and to hold. Well, today we are celebrating 60 years of ministry at Holland Avenue Baptist Church. How does that happen? How does a church get to 60 years? Not just 60 years of building buildings, not just 60 years of keeping the lights on, but 60 years of doing ministry. 60 years of, of making a great deal about the greatness of God and making a great deal of the kingdom of God. How does that happen? Well, it happens with lots of having and holding. But having and holding what? Well, let's find out. Look with me beginning at Philippians 2, verse 14. Paul writes, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. There's a story of a little old lady who came into a department store, and she was taken back when she went through the doors because a band started playing as soon as she came in. And a man in a nicely tailored suit came over to her and, and gave her a, a bouquet of flowers and gave her a $100 bill. She was the one millionth customer. 
TV camera crew was there, and the reporter walked over and put the microphone in her face and said, so what were you coming to shop for today? With a bit of a red face, the lady said, well, actually, I was on my way to the complaint department. <laughs> None of us have a problem with complaining, do we? None of us have a problem with grumbling or arguing about anything in, in life, right? I mean, we're the kind of people that all day long, every day, man, we just got a smile on our face and a zippity-doo-dah attitude about everything, right? No, we don't. We all have moments where we have a yuck mouth and a yuck mood. It happens often. But Paul says that we have to do all things without grumbling or disputing. What does he mean? I mean, that sounds impossible. I mean, we're not perfect how in the world could we do all things? Well, it's true, we're not perfect. But the beauty of the Bible is the Bible is always challenging us to look at the patterns of our lives. So what is the pattern of your life? What's the normal attitude that happens on any given day, on any given week? Paul's encouraging us to look at patterns. Grumbling and complaining are things that we do with our mouths disputing and questioning are things that we do with our minds. The math works really good here. You see, our minds begin to question and dispute something, and then our mouths advertise what our minds are thinking. So our, our grumbling and our complaining is a result of what's going on in our minds. We see this oftentimes with kids, right? A small child, the parent asks them to do something, and that child does not immediately obey. They just kind of stand there. What are they doing? Well, they are disputing and questioning in their minds. They're going, I don't know if I really want to do what mommy and daddy want me to do or not. I think I want to do my own thing. And so they question and they dispute. And then after a, a few seconds, they might just pout and say no. Or they might stomp their feet. Or they may throw their arms all over the place. Or they may actually go do what they've been asked to do, but they grumble under their mouth as they go. We see this oftentimes. The questioning and disputing happens in their mind and then the grumbling comes out of their mouths. The sad thing is, is that far too many people don't outgrow that process when they get older, right? That the grumbling and the disputing and this whole process, it continues to happen. That's what happened to the Israelites. Exodus chapter 16. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And this is what they said. Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Let me reword that. What they said was, sure, we were slaves. Yeah, we had to work long, terrible, awful hours. Sure, we were asked to do things that were almost impossible for us to physically do. Sure, we were beaten all the time as slaves. But hey, we had three square. We had plenty to eat. We had plenty to drink. Sounds odd, right? Keith Green, a singer back in the late 70s and early 80s, said it was almost like they were looking backwards going, yeah, but, you know, we don't want manna pancakes anymore, and we won't want manna biscuits anymore, and we don't want manna hamburgers anymore. We'd rather be slaves where we at least have some variety. This is what Moses said back to them. Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. You see, they had 
freedom. They were slaves. They had no chance of freedom. Freedom was impossible, but they were free. And they weren't free because they had fought a a hard battle against their masters and the Pharaoh. They weren't free because some liberation group had come in and, and helped them to escape. They were free because of the direct impact of the grace of God. God gave them their freedom. And now with their freedom, they're grumbling. They're they're complaining. And Moses says, you're not grumbling against us. You're not grumbling against the leaders. You're actually grumbling against God. You're actually grumbling against the grace of God. See, when Paul's writing here about grumbling and arguing and disputing, he's he's not talking about the kind of grumbling that that a husband might do when his wife asks him to change the baby's diaper. It's not the kind of grumbling that comes when the husband wants the wife to change the channel from her favorite show to the game. That's that's not the kind of grumbling that's going on here. The kind of grumbling is denying the grace of God. Seeing the grace of God, seeing the freedom that we have in God, and just ignoring it, just passing over it. Or maybe put another way, worshiping our circumstances instead of resting in the freedom of God and the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. We fall into this more often than we probably want to admit. Sinclair Ferguson said this, murmuring and arguing are ugly monsters. Ugly monsters. That's pretty strong language. And it's very true for those of us as Christians. Why? Because Jesus is not an ugly monster. And we've been called to be like Jesus. So let's look at the life of Jesus. Was Jesus known for grumbling and complaining and disputing? Was Jesus always looking at God the Father saying, I don't like this plan. I don't like how this is working out. I don't like how you're handling things. Was Jesus arguing with his Father about the way he was doing things? No. We see Jesus just trusting and obeying and loving the Father. There are times and there are places for us to have a a healthy dose of debate, and maybe arguing and and communicating, things like that. There are times for that. But when it comes to the type of grumbling and disputing that Paul is referring to here, as believers, it is a reflection of denying God's grace in our lives. And so we cannot take the vow of grumbling and complaining because if we do, it denies God's grace in our life. We ignore God's grace in our lives. For a Christian and for a church... Grumbling and disputing are not the vows that we need to have. Why? Look at verse 15. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. The word for innocent here means unmixed or unadulterated. And so the the picture here is that our sinful culture, the sinful nature of our culture and our society is full of all kinds of things that are complaints. There's all kind of arguing, all kind of murmuring in our culture. But here, we're called to be unmixed with those things, not to mix in with those things. Now, let's be clear here. We're not perfect. We're not talking about perfection. Okay, We're all going to have our occasional moments where we grumble and we argue. And we murmur and we argue and we murmur and complain. But they should be occasional. As Christians, as believers, this type of behavior is not supposed to be what we casually mix in to the rest of our lives. Think of it in some practical ways. Unmixed 
is not watching eight hours of zombie TV shows or zombie movies and then only eight minutes of the Bible. That would not be a good way to mix up the world. Unmixed would be not wearing our WWJD bracelet to the doctor's appointments, but then being known by the office staff as the person who always grumbles about the bill and who always calls in screaming rude panics about what the test results are. See, that's an unmixed way of doing things. We're not supposed to mix the two together. Ah, now, I'm just, now I'm just meddling. Unmixed is not ranting all over social media about everything in the world and posting somewhat questionable videos and jokes and then squeezing in some catchy Christian phrases and Bible verses in the middle of all that. I know, I'm meddling, I know. But the picture here that Paul is giving us is, is not to be mixed up, not to be sending mixed messages, but to be clear. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul tells the church, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a grumbler. And so therefore, in order for us to walk with Him and keep in step with Him, we cannot live a life of grumbling and murmuring. So here's the only thing that you really need to get from the message today so far. Jesus is not an ugly monster. Okay, we got that. The Holy Spirit is not a grumbler, and we need to follow their lead. That's the picture that we have. We have examples to follow. I think sometimes when we're looking at the reality of the difficulty of life, we say, hey, man, life's hard. What's the big deal if I grumble every now and then? What's the big deal if I complain every now and then? Why, why does it matter if I'm a Christian and I'm not supposed to mix all this stuff together? What is the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. Paul was writing to the church 1,900 years ago. This letter was 1,900 years ago. And he told them that the world that they lived in was crooked and perverse. And guess what? The world is still crooked and perverse. It was crooked and perverse around 60 A.D., it was crooked and perverse 60 years ago, and it's still crooked and perverse today. Nothing has changed. But here's the difference. See, around 60 A.D., Paul had the light of the gospel. And 60 years ago, about 28 people got together to pray to start this church, and they had the light of the gospel. And today, we, as we exist and serve in this church, we still have the light of the gospel. See, the world may be dark and crooked and perverse. It may be full of evil and pain and hurt and despair, but we still have this great and wonderful and amazing and fantastic news. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. That message never goes away. That message never diminishes. And so Paul's writing to the church, and he's saying, look, don't let grumbling and disputing and arguing mark your life at home with your wife or with your kids or in your relationships at church or anywhere else, because if you do, you'll be blocking out this amazing light of the gospel. Someone told me a few weeks ago that Dr. Harmon put it this way recently, whiners can't be shiners. I love that. Where are you? Are you here? You're here, aren't you? I love that. I, I, all week long, I've been so excited about whiners can't be shiners. And also because I put at the bottom that I never get Dr. Harmon's name right either. I knew you probably didn't see it, so. The picture we have here is that we cannot hold 
and have grumbling and arguing. It's not what we're supposed to hang on to. In fact, those things are non-Christian and non-church and and non-gospel. See, we have to have a completely different attitude. We have to have and hold something different. And what is the different we have to have and hold? Look at verse 16. Holding fast the word of life. We have the word of life. We hold the word of life. So what's the word of life? Well, practically speaking, we would say it's the Bible. For our daily practical lives, the the word of life is the Bible. But the Bible is not just a a book of rules. It's not just a, a book of regulations. It is a book of life. From Genesis to Revelation, God unfolds in in beauty His perfect promises, the wonderful promises of God throughout the whole Bible. And God has perfectly kept every single one of those promises and will keep all the promises yet to be through Jesus of Nazareth, through Jesus Christ. One day Jesus was teaching some pretty strong things about what it meant to follow after Him. And John records it this way. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? So don't miss the scene. There's some people following Jesus, and they begin to question and dispute in their minds what Jesus is saying. I don't know if I like that. I don't like the membership requirements that Jesus is putting out there. And so they start disputing those things, and eventually they start grumbling and murmuring about those things, and eventually they just reject Jesus and walk away. And so Jesus turns to his closest friends, and he says, do you guys want to go away as well? And I love what Peter says back to him. John 6, 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You can just see the the passionate, perplexed look on Peter's face. Jesus, where are we going to go? Where else are we going to turn? We've never met anybody like you. We've never seen anyone like you. We've never known anyone like you. You have the words of life. Where in the world would we go? I've given you this quote before from Ravi Zacharias. I came to Christ because I'm convinced of the absolute truth of his message. Not just that what I believe sounds nice or even that it works, but that it is real. You see, we celebrate 60 years of ministry today, not because we think the idea of a church is nice, not even that we think we can make the church work, but because from 1955 to today until forever, we are absolutely convinced that the truth about Jesus Christ is real. It's real. We hold fast the word of life, and we hold forth the word of life. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures for a couple of weeks. Is that what it says? No, the Lord endures forever, forever. The word of the Lord endures not just till around 60 A.D., The word of the Lord endures not just to around 60 years ago, not just to today, but forever. 
You see, the fame and the wealth and the possessions that exist right now on this earth will one day fade away. But the word of the Lord, the word of life, will last and endure forever. It will never fade away. You see, all the pastors and all the church members and all the church buildings of this world will fade away. But the word of the Lord, the word of life that those pastors and those church members believed and believe will never fade away. It will last and it will endure forever. Counselor and pastor Rick Thomas said this this past week in one of his articles. Here's the gospel in five words. Christ died for my sins. Christ died for my sins. Those are the ultimate words of life that the Bible offers to us. Christ died for my sins. Those are the ultimate words of life that push us away from murmuring and complaining and arguing. Christ died for my sins. Those are the ultimate words of life that the church builds her ministry on. Christ died for my sins. Those are the words of life that we have as Christians and as a church to offer to the world. Christ died for my sins. Do you own those five words? Or are they just words to you? Christ died for my sins. There's a story told of some prospectors that hit a gold mine, I mean a big one. And they looked around at each other and they said, man, we don't need to tell anybody about this. We've got to keep this to ourselves until we can stake our claim. But they looked around and they realized they were short on materials and supplies. They were going to need a lot more in order to take over this mine. So they went down into town, did not say a word, got all of their supplies, brought them all back. When they got back to the mine, they looked over their shoulders and there was a crowd of people behind them. Nobody had said a word. But you see, their discovery was written all over their faces. So people knew to follow them. Christ died for my sins. You see, the greatest treasure in the universe can't be found in a gold mine. The greatest treasure in the universe is found in those words. Christ died for my sins. On Sunday, March 13th, 1955, Holland Avenue Baptist Church was officially constituted. At the Constitution service, the service began with a hymn. And these were the first words that were sung at that Constitution service. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, the church our blessed Redeemer saved with his own precious Sixty years and counting. May we continue to love God and love His kingdom first and most. May we continue to, to have and to hold the word of life and to hold it out for the world to see. And may the truth, the real truth about Jesus Christ be all over our faces and our lives, and his church. Let's pray.